Well, if you would, turn to Numbers. That's a little bit different than Exodus. Turn to Numbers. Uh, we are approaching the latter part of Moses' life, at least we're going to be looking at uh, all the way up to when God calls him home. Uh, the plan of attack, again, is, you know, we, we move through March the uh, 14th, I believe it is, uh, every Tuesday. So we've got about four weeks left, and then we're going to lay out some plans for the next Bible study and something we're, exciting we're going to be doing over the summer. So we'll give you more information on that, but uh, just thank you for your faithfulness and uh, I was just praying for you guys this morning that this would be a, a rich time and the Lord would honor our time together. <clears throat> well, Numbers, <clears throat> if you would, chapter 11, and we're going to start in verse 4, <clears throat> and I feel bad doing this because I'm plopping you right into another scene, uh, but in the first three verses, God is honking mad again with these Israelites. They grumble, complain, and this time he brings fire down on the camp. And Moses has to intercede. He's learned his lesson. <laughs> and remember, God kind of has to pull him up to the bootstraps and says, you're going to have to intercede. We saw that in chapter 32 of Exodus. <clears throat> and something interesting happens with this text, and I'm going to give you Hophetus' heresy this morning, uh, because I'm going to go against the mainstream view of this text. So bear with me, but that, well, let's go. Verse 4, now, the mixed multitude who were among them craved more desirable foods. Uh, it wasn't just the Israelites that left Egypt. We're told back in Exodus that there was also some local yokels or some others who might have been enslaved that went along with the Israelites. And it's interesting, in some versions they call them here riffraff. <laughs> They are, uh, they become a troublemaker in the, uh, in the midst of the group who were among them that craved more desirable foods. And so the Israelites wept again and said, if only we had meat to eat. Now, the quail situation wasn't an ongoing event. We had that, remember that a while back? Uh, and then manna has been ongoing. Uh, <clears throat> But look what they say. We remember the fish we used to eat freely in Egypt, and certainly in the Nile that was the case. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now we are dried up. There's nothing at all before us except the manna. Now, the manna, and verses 7 through 9, uh, the, Moses goes again and tells us all about this manna that we saw back in Exodus 16. So he kind of relates again, what is this manna, etc., etc. And so verse 10, Moses heard the people weeping. This is the second time. Four times we're going to be told they wept <clears throat> throughout their families. Now everyone's involved, so uh, complaining is often contagious. <laughs> and that's exactly what has happened. Everyone at the door of his tent, uh, it's kind of a, in other words, this is very public, it's not private. <clears throat> And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses also displeased. And Moses said to the Lord, Why have you afflicted your servant? Why have I not found favor in your sight uh, that you lay the burden of all this people on me? In Exodus 32, remember Moses is gone, and the people say, Where is this Moses? Uh, we want to build a calf. This, the demonstrative pronoun, is not uh, I think it's, there's more to this than simply saying, it's kind of, oh, who is this guy? Well, who is this people? He uses the same construction that we saw in Exodus 32. Did I conceive all this people? Did I produce them? 
that you should say to me, carry them in your bosom as a foster mother bears a nursing child to the land where you swore to your fathers? From where shall I get meat to give all of these people? They cry out to me, give us meat that we may eat. Am I not able to bear all this people alone? And there it is again, this people, because it's too heavy for me. But if you're going to deal with me like this, then kill me immediately. <laughs> all right. <clears throat> If I found favor in your sight, then do not let me see my trouble. Uh, it's interesting there. It could be your evil. Um, we'll get to that in a minute. The Lord said to Moses, Gather me 70 men of the elders of Israel, whom you know are elders of the people and officials over them. Bring them to the tent of the meeting. Let them take their position there with you. There I will come down and speak with you there. I will take part of the spirit that is on you and will put it on them. And we're going to find out that they prophesy. So they, they help carry the burden for this period of time. Verse 18, And say to the people, Sanctify yourselves for tomorrow, which they certainly aren't sanctified, and you will eat meat. Yay, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord. So, yay, you can kind of hear the crowd. Oh, this is wonderful. Hold on. Who will give us meat to eat for life with good, what was, was good for us in Egypt. Therefore the Lord will give you meat and you will eat. You will eat, not just one day, not two, not five, not ten, not twenty, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and it makes you sick. <laughs> uh, you know, already he's done burn, baby, burn in verses one through three, and now he's saying, uh, uh, it's like, wow, are you people ever going to get it? Right? <clears throat> and it says, and makes you sick because you have despised the Lord who's among you and you have wept before him saying, why did we ever come out of Egypt? Moses said the people around me, there are 6,000 on foot, which seems to be just the, the infantry or, or the men ready for battle. Uh, that's debated. But you say, I will give them meat. <laughs> Moses said, what am I supposed to do? Uh, would they have enough if the flocks and the herds were slain for them? If all the fish of the sea, kind of reminds me of the disciples with the, the 5,000 men plus women and children, you know. Well, what are we supposed to do? We don't have any food. There's no 7-Eleven nearby. Where are we supposed to send them? Right? That's healthy food. And the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you will see whether my word to you will happen or not. It's an interesting text. It would seem on first reading that Moses, <laughs> the school of hard knocks and learning how to be an intercessor, has blown it again. Right? That's the first read. And, and many scholars argue Moses is angry, he blows it, and fails to lead once again. I'm going to give you a different twist on the text today. Uh, I think there's another way to read this, and you can disagree with me, but there's a few things that are, are very subtle, but they're very significant, I think, in this passage. Let's first look at the Israelites' complaint, because there's no question about that one, because God even spanks them on this and tells them exactly what they're doing, and that is, you despise me, all right? So let's look at the uh, complaint of the Israelites first. This is intriguing. The word craving, look at this in verse 4. Let's look at this. Look what the text says. It says, you crave more desirable foods. It's the same Hebrew term used of Eve in the garden. He said, oh, well, maybe that's a coincidence. It's the same word used in the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments for coveting. They're not hungry. They got manna. It's not like they're starving to death. 
right? You think, oh, you know, they don't have anything. No, 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 careful. And the text is clear. Um, they got a moral issue. Their very fiber is off base, this riffraff. Does anyone have a version that uses riffraff? Rabble, yeah, okay, there's a few. Okay, I love it, yeah. Uh, so there's a f- rabble, mixed company. I have that in your notes, this craving. And, and their ingratitude, this is the second part there, it's under verses 5 and 6 of your notes, really expresses a, a grave insult to the one who's graciously provided. I mean, think how the Lord has provided for him. Help me out. What have we seen in our study of Exodus? Water. What else? More than once. Manna. Quail. I'm sorry? Their clothes didn't wear out. Forget even Marcus, right? Or Walmart. I don't know. Well, yeah. <laughs> what else? You got the whole Red Sea. You got them bring up, brought out of slavery. And that's not forget that genocide was happening in the land of Egypt. You want to go back to the place they were killing your children? You know, <laughs> come on. Have you forgotten? Turn to Psalm 78. Psalm 78 refers to this very scene, I believe. Uh, in fact, the psalm is an indictment against the, the uh, house of Israel. 18 and 19, it says, They will, willfully challenged God by asking for food to satisfy their appetite. Again, they're not hungry. That's not the issue. And I agree. If I had pizza every day after a while, I don't think I'd want pizza. Well, maybe not. Who knows? Right? Who knows? Um, They insulted God saying, is God really able to give us food in the wilderness? Not a place to be in insulting God Almighty. (laughs) His hand of provision has been seen time and time and time again, and yet they miss it. Right? And I think that's why the narrator spends verses 7, 8, and 9 rehearsing what is manna. We didn't need to be told what manna was. We can go back to Exodus 16, right? All Scripture is God-breathed. You only need to say it once, and it's, it's significant. <laughs> but he says it twice. Why does he rehearse it twice? Because it's reiterating God's miraculous provision for the people, and, and it just accentuates their ingratitude here. He gave you this great stuff that tastes like olive oil. Woo! I've had olive oil in Israel. It's great. One scholar writes, The children of Israel may be uh, bored, stressed, tired, frightened, or seduced away from right worship, but they are not hungry. And that's not forget. I even put this in your notes. Besides the manna, they've got milk, butter, cheese, yogurt from their livestocks. We sometimes forget. They got bobos. They got goats they've got they're they're they have a a huge livestock that they're dragging around exodus 12 tells us about that exodus 27 even the context here because moses says if they ate all of their livestock which you would never do i mean find a bedouin a nomad in the desert uh, around the middle east they would never eat a goat because that's that's their source of milk and, and it provides other sources of things for them, <laughs> fertilizer, etc. So you, you, don't, you don't kill Bobo, uh, maybe Bobo's offspring, but never Bobo um, until Bobo's too old. But that's the whole, they do have sources of food besides just manna. Um, so the complaint is, 
it's very clear uh, that they're craving more, that, that term that is used, I think, accentuating what is manna. And, of course, Jesus, Jesus the Lord's going to come back to this, and he's going to say, you despise me. And Psalm 78 highlights that. Questions on the complaint of the Israelites? Pretty straightforward. You know, yeah, where'd I go, you bums? You can, right? Right there. But it's Moses' words that are shocking, aren't they? Let's look at Moses' complaint in verses 10 through 15. First of all, you see this in the text. It says, look at this, look at verse 10. Moses heard the people weeping, everyone at the door, and then he was displeased. It, it hinges not on the people's response, but on the Lord's response. I think he's grown accustomed to Israel complaining. <laughs> not that he likes it, but it's like, oh yeah, here they go again. But I, the text is clear. He is very concerned about what the Lord is about to do in his response. Why should he be? Look again, look at verses 1 through 3. When the people complained, it displeased the Lord. The Lord heard it. His anger burned, so the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outer parts of the camp. So uh, already he's seen it. Then let's go back. Let's go back to Exodus 34, 33, 32. Uh, Moses has seen what happens when God's angry. All right. And I, I think part of this is he, he's gravely concerned with what's going to happen here. And again, I mentioned this at the bottom of page one of your notes. Already in this chapter, Moses was faced with serving as an intercessor. Yet Moses has to step up to the plate in verses one through three. Otherwise, we're going to lose this. All right? We see that. Now let's go to chapter, uh, let's look at two, or uh, page two of your notes. Another thing that we see here is Moses sides with the Lord against the Israelites. Did you notice this? Not once does Moses try to excuse the Israelites, does he? Here they go again. I mean, he, it's so obvious that they're, they're upset. In fact, Moses does not inform the Lord. The Lord already knows of it. <laughs> it's already seen. This is there at the top of page two of your notes. Moses complains that despite leading the entire Israelite nation, the Lord appears to have not shown him favor. And yet it was the Lord responsible for their existence, not Moses, right? And so here Moses goes through all this. I, I didn't bear them, bore them. You did. They're not, they're not my people. They're your people, which is interesting. No one wants them, do they? <laughs> God said they're your people to Moses back in Exodus. And now God, or Moses is saying, no, no, they're your people. Uh, who wants this riffraff, all right, this rebel? Um, and, and so this, this is going on, this tension but the question that scholars face here is, what is Moses actually doing here in this text? The, the traditional interpretation, and, and I certainly see that, is one is arguing, no, no, Moses is responding in anger. Uh, he, he's actually quite hostile to the Lord. He's had it. And certainly Moses shows his temper elsewhere, doesn't it? We've seen that, or we'll see it. 
Notice uh, this is Wybray in his article on the immortality of God, immorality, excuse me, of God. He says, Moses was by implication charging Yahweh with avoiding his own responsibility towards Israel. They're your people. You've promised to take care of them, so you deal with them. It's not my role. In fact, this is too much for me to handle. So that's one way to interpret this. It's a common way. All right, we'll open it for questions here in a second. Another way <clears throat> that some scholars have seen it, and it's very intriguing, is that actually what Moses is doing is going a roundabout way with intercession. He, he's, he's reminding the Lord of his responsibility by taking uh, this a tactic and saying, well, listen, you know, really, it's not my responsibility. Notice in the notes, <clears throat> he, he's reminding the Lord in terms most likely to rouse God's compassion. And part of this is he uses motherly terminology. In fact, it's one of the few places in Scripture where a feminine pronoun is used of God. And we have to be careful here, right? Because never is God equated with mother. But um, <clears throat> he, he's trying to, to, to uh, I think, appeal to God's compassion for his people. The term for womb can also be mercy. And we saw this when the Lord said, I am, you know, uh, merciful and compassionate. <clears throat> we saw that in Exodus 34 when God revealed himself, his attributes. Remember that? We looked at that. Uh, and so uh, certainly, as I mentioned there in your notes, it was the Lord who bore them on his eagle wings, and revealed himself as one who is merciful and gracious. Rice, who's done a lot of work on this, in an article that she wrote, she says, to keep, this is under verses 13 and 14, to keep God from scrutinizing their greed, their amnesia, and their traitorous, treacherous ingratitude, Moses fabricates a less objective version of the children of Israel. I don't think he fabricates, he just condenses. He doesn't go into great detail. He never mentions that the people said we want to go back to Egypt. He just mentions the meat and trying to downplay a little bit their complaint. <clears throat> so the second view is that, no, Moses uh, isn't shaking his fist at God. He's trying to, to woo God into, can you take care of them again? And the wanting to die then, in this second view, would be simply, uh, the thought of Israel being judged is just too much for him to bear and to handle that. Questions on it? I, I see both views, um, but I think Rice has some strong arguments that it's more this latter view that Moses is reminding the Lord of his relationship with the people. You can disagree. <coughs> Questions or comments on it? Well, and that's, but this is part of Rice's argument that Moses is never scolded. And some will say, well, the 70 elders was acquiescing. It's kind of like Aaron. It actually was, but we don't see that. In fact, Moses applauds that th these guys are prophesying in the next scene. And, and so, but the Israelites are, are scolded severely by the Lord. So he provides uh, for both groups, but one of them is the provision is actually judgment. So it's interesting. Dr. Bruce, you're shaking your head. I don't know. It's, 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 this perspective is, is very intriguing because it, there's a few things in the text that would lend itself. Uh, Moses is reacting to God's anger, not to the people. 
And I think he's, he's scared spitless that the Lord is really, this time is gonna, it's going to be it. Uh, and Moses does not want to be second Abraham. <laughs> he's already highlighted that one. But either way, uh, it's, it's something to think about as we go through the text. Pete, you had your hand up. You want to make a Yes, but in verses 1 through 3 of chapter 11, Moses has already served as an intercessor in the midst of their complaining. And this is also interesting. Look at the end of chapter 12. Well, not the end of 12. First part of 12. It's the end of this whole scene. 12, 3, it says, Now the man Moses was very humble, more so than any man on the face of the earth. I'm not saying Moses doesn't have outbursts of anger. We're going to see that. It's just intriguing. Yeah, Jamie? Oh, I, yeah. Oh, I see. Gotcha. Sorry, I didn't miss that. Thank you. You know what? Let's do something. I want you to look. There's a chart there or a table in your notes. Let's just do this. This is very intriguing, uh, which also seems to support Rice perspective on this this passage let's let's compare israel's complaint with moses's uh, actually contrast there's some similarities but contrast the two what do you see going on what's some differences here <clears throat> we got a couple minutes yeah bill <laughs> no there's no reality um i i think in that perspective very good uh versus uh what Moses has to say is based on truth. They really are God's people. You really have made a covenant with them, right? Uh, versus the, the false uh, beliefs that, the, that's based on the complaint of the Israelites. Good. What else do you see? Okay, versus the... Yeah, run with that, or help us out here. Who does the Israelites complain to? Or, or anyone who listens, don't they? They kind of just, uh, they kind of regurgitate all over the place, and they're, they're complaining. Who does Moses complain to? Directly to God, right? There is a distinction there. Yeah, what else? I'd be interested in the doctor's uh, point of view. Uh, they've been living with manna for a long time. They say now our strength is dried up. Maybe they're lacking protein. I, I don't know. Well, they've already had a very warped view of Egypt. I suspect they have a warped view of what God has provided. That would be my take on it. I, I doubt very seriously, uh, since their sandals and their clothing don't wear out, I suspect the food is also not going to wear out their body. In fact, they're probably on the best diet program they could ever ask for. So it's better than <laughs> what I had yesterday with the kids, which was a lot of popcorn. We won't go there. Oh, I'm paying dear for it. Um, 
yesterday was President's Day. The kids were home, so we went and watched the Lego Batman movie, which, anyway. <laughs> so <clears throat> I fell asleep, so that'll tell you something. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> that was an expensive nap, but anyway. Uh, let, me, let me just give you three things to run with here, all right? Their complaint is directed to anyone who would listen. I believe the complaint is directed towards the Lord. Yes, ultimately, the Israelites are to Moses. That's who they want to, the, to listen. Their complaint, you just mentioned, was based on false facts. Here's another one. The Israelites note their so-called inadequacies. You know, and that is the provisions given to them. It's all about them. Moses is noting his own personal inadequacies as he stands before God. It's intriguing. The, the complaints are different. They are, aren't they? One is really God-centered. And yes, no, no matter which view of Moses you take, it's still God-centered. The theology is correct, anyways, in the sense that, God, these are your people, and that uh, you have a, a allegiance to them, versus the Israelites, whose theology is way off. They have forgotten that God has provided and <clears throat> any other comments on this? This is intriguing. There is some comparisons that are similarities. There's no doubt. Uh, yes, Jeff. We, we know the event that fries Moses, and that is, or Moses fries himself. Uh, he strikes the, right, the rock more than once, and we are going to look at that event. Uh, it's one of an unfortunate event in the life of Moses. Um, <clears throat> in fact, in March, I will be at Mount Nebo. We'll stand and look over into the promised land where Moses looked. And to me, it's a very somber moment because I think, all this, and he forfeits that because of one event. But God takes his object lessons very seriously. And Moses blew it big time. And it wasn't as if it was early on either. God has been grooming him and moving him, et cetera, et cetera. And, and he falls into the same trap the Israelites are doing. That is not taking God seriously for what he says, et cetera. And in leadership, there's... Serious lessons <laughs> for those who blow it. So Israel's complaint, Moses' complaint. Well, let's look at God's response, all right? Uh, look at verses 16 and 17. Uh, the Lord has a few things to say, doesn't He? Uh, he makes provision in 16 and 17 for Moses. Notice He does not bring up the sin of the people in these two verses, nor does He scold Moses. None of that's brought out into this, this, this event, all right? He says, Moses, fine, I'll provide for you. And again, some scholars who, who would, especially if you take Moses' words uh, as a serious affront to the Lord, they see the 70 men as, uh, as actually uh, a way to take away from Moses' leadership. I don't see that. You know, it says his spirit, Moses' spirit passes on them. I think they're just participating in what Moses does in leadership. But notice in verses 18 through 20, as we look at this next part, 
What does the Lord charge the Israelites with? What are they guilty of, according to the Lord, in verses 18 through 20? What does He say? And there's several things here. What does He accuse them of? Help me out. What do you say? They despise the Lord. We've said that one. That one's a biggie, right? Yeah, you've wept. You've complained. You've rejected me. What else could we imply? They haven't turned to the Lord for help, right? They, they lack in trust. They're ungrateful. Hands down. Here's the Lord. I've provided you with manna, daily food. And again, in their discontentment, they have failed to recall the former way of life. I mentioned this there at the top of page three. They've, they've, they've missed the past. They've missed the present. And if they're not careful, they're going to miss the future, which they end up doing. The promised land. It's amazing what discontentment can do. <laughs> Be very careful. It's, it's, it's very, uh, no chemo treatment can really deal with it. <laughs> Uh, apart from a heart that repents and turns to the Lord. Um, one, of you, one of my favorite authors, this is no surprise to some of you, is Thomas Watson, the Puritan. Uh, All Things for Good is a great book, but he's also written a little book called The Divine Art of Contentment. Uh, the Art of Divine Contentment. And it is spectacular. It's, it's a great read. Uh, and we'll, we'll talk about that in a minute. And then, uh, so the Lord rebukes them, but never Moses in the scene. And he, he does remind Moses, however, listen, I can provide. That's, you know, this, this statement he says, is the Lord hand shortened? Man, take those words and scroll them on your dashboard. Put them on a card and stick it on your mirror. Is the Lord hand shortened? <laughs> right? And uh, uh, so... We could go around this room and talk about how God has provided. There was a point when we as a family, we our legal battles, there was a mess we were involved with. And as if you've been, you know, I saw money go so fast out the door. And uh, we, we were on fumes. Uh, we'd have nothing left. And I went to the door, and it was a FedEx package from an individual my wife had never met. I really didn't. I knew who he was. And it was a check for $100,000 which sustained us through that time frame. And it never, it would have never made it, never. And the other side had brought 12 lawyers to try to bury us, and they told us that's what they were going to do. And yet God stood in the gap. <laughs> said, no, is my hand shortened? <laughs> are, you, are you serious? Well, someone was telling me here in this room, they were, the builder stuck them 1.5 million in debt, and yet God saw them out of that is is your is god's hand shortened (laughs) you know it's a good reminder for all of us and for moses listen moses (laughs) if i can part a red sea if i can i can bend the knee of a pharaoh and wipe out and decimate a country like egypt i'll get you some food right mcdonald's can come cater we'll take care of it right we'll deal with it well Let's give a few lessons. What can we tease out of this text? Number one is uncertainties of life can easily draw our eyes away from the Lord. 
those of you who helped coach, I'm helping my son's basketball, which is absolute joke. Uh, my son can shoot better than I can. <laughs> That's not saying much, but anyway. Uh, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball, right? You know, you say that. We find ourselves attempting to resolve or answer life's unknowns with our own resources rather than resting in the Lord's character. Listen, we are men. That's how we were raised. I mean, that's how my dad, you know, pull your bootstraps up, get it done. We eventually find ourselves shackled by the, the chains of doubt, bitterness, and anger. Psalm 111, just turn there. This is a great psalm. And talking about the uncertainties of life and trusting the Lord. The Israelites missed the opportunity to see... You know, if they had gone to the Lord and said, Hey, God, we're so thankful for manna. Is there a way we could get some uh, T-bones this time? I, I bet you he would have done it in a heartbeat. Right? Maybe not. I don't know. But one eleven one says, Praise the Lord. I'll give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart and the assembly of the godly and the congregation. The Lord's deeds are great, eagerly awaited by all who desire them. His work is majestic and glorious and His faithfulness endures forever. He does amazing things that will be remembered. Do you not remember what the Lord said to them in Exodus 34? Remember that? He said, if you think what I did was great in the past, you ain't seen nothing yet. And yet here we are. I'm so sick of this manna, right? He announced that he would do mighty deeds for his people. His acts are characterized by faithfulness and justice. They are forever firm, and they should be faithful and properly uh, carried out. He delivered his people. He ordained that his covenant be observed forever. His name is holy and awesome. There it is. And so the uncertainties of life, man, don't, for, it's a prayer for myself. It's a prayer for all of us. Keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Look to him. Right? Don't run ahead of them. Here's another. As I look at the Israelites and, and this whole scene here in Numbers 11, life is often full of a questions and confusion. You're saying, thanks, Hophaditz. I didn't need to come this morning to know that. Yeah. In the midst of these uncertainties, we need to be reminded that God is not disengaged or even upset, but rather He's loving a sovereign God who is intimately involved in the lives of His people. He's not the old man who wound the clock and sits by and watches the world unravel. No. He's intimately involved. And that's what Moses is echoing in verses 10 through 15, right? <laughs> These are your people. And he uses that motherly terminology. You, you know, you, you, this is the one you gave birth to. This is the one you made a covenant with. You're intimately involved. Lord, yeah, that's right. Thank you, Moses. Um, for reminding me, but I, I knew that, right? I, 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 and, and under the new covenant, that's us. <laughs> and Romans 8 says, hey, uh, there's nothing that's going to separate you from the love of God. The Lord loves you as much as He could possibly love you. There's no way He could love you more or less. You say, whoa, yes. Well, what about sin? Well, doesn't mean he won't be disappointed, but that doesn't change his love for you. Read Ephesians 1, right? Romans 8. Great reminders. So why you do what you do, hopefully it's not to win God's favor because you already have it if you're a child of his. Uh, the reason you do what you do is because you love him, and it's just a demonstration of your gratitude. 
And then lastly, here's the last one. We need to be careful to trust the Lord to provide and not presume upon what the Lord should provide. Right? How's your prayer life? When you, when you request, Lord, your will be done? Or is it, Lord, this is what we need to do, and i got a game plan for you. In fact, I even wrote a book. Uh, I'll give that to you uh, to read. We not only will miss out in the Lord's blessings, we may also wind up with the very thing we desired. <laughs> Careful. The Israelites got what they wanted, along with the riffraff, and it wasn't pleasant. Fine, you want steak? Have at it. Let me give it to you. Proverbs 3. Eddie Merlo's is great, but eat that 365 days a year, and I bet you won't go back. Proverbs 3, look at this. Look at this text. You know this. Many of you know it from memory. In fact, anyone want to quote Proverbs 3, 5, and 6? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. There it is. Lean not unto your own understanding. All right? What we're dealing with is contentment. Thomas Watson, down at the bottom of your notes, the discontented person thinks everything he does for God is too much and everything God does for him is too little. Isn't that great? That quote's worth being coming out this morning. It really is. That's what the Israelites, Lord, we did all of this and, and you just give us nothing but the same old. And God says, fine. Your lack of gratitude for me I'll be happy to give you what you want. Reminds me of Romans 1. The worst thing that could happen is to God say, fine, you want your sin? Have at it. You will reap the consequences. Comments? Questions? Great text. Yeah. Well, that's convicting. Thank you, Bill. <laughs> yes. That is a great question. Uh, uh, some have argued that what he's doing is he's establishing a, a kind of a holy day the next day, and uh, certainly the term means to, to be set apart, to make, you know, confess sin, be right with God, because you're going to meet Him the next day. Um, I don't think it's an official event in the sense of this is a new holy day that's being established, but simply God is going to start an, uh, an event. I'm coming into your midst to do this, and you will be holy. Um, Read the book of Leviticus and Numbers, and, and that's really what this is about. <laughs> is God establishing, I am holy, you're not, and this is what I expect from you. Well, I know you. not every day do you have a devotional from Numbers, so how's that? Yes, right? I saw there was another hand waving. Yeah, Jim. Mm. He, he, he was so content. He was ready for heaven. He was ready to 
don't need question and privilege to look back and say your whole life that you always did the best. Wow. And praise the Lord that he would do that when he was sitting in a contentment there. Father, as Jim has stated, uh, that is our prayer for us. <laughs> At 96, may it be said, that person, that, that Hafidetz, he was a contented person. His m- life was marked with gratitude to God. Or maybe that be said of all of us. Uh, thank you for your word. He, even the book of Numbers, one, a book that I don't often turn to, and yet the, the truths come screaming out of the text. And whatever view you take of how Moses is handling this, Lord, uh, it's very clear. Uh, we are to trust you, and, and our lives need to, to recognize that all comes from your hand, and we need to be grateful. Father, be with these men today, uh, carving time out of a busy schedule. I pray that you would honor them and bless them for it. In Jesus' name, amen.